From Clearfield to Pittston, Warren to York, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, school board elections will be taking place all across Penn's Woods this year, and parental involvement is on the upswing. Lois Kanashiki of Moms for Liberty is here with details. Inflation and rising interest rates are making the affordable housing crisis even worse. Habitat for Humanity is working hard to address the problem. Joe Geiger has Serena Gaston of Habitat for Humanity in the Community Benefit Spotlight. And the U.S. House of Representatives has taken action to protect the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and limit its use to responding to national emergencies. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity has this week's Lincoln Radio Journal Commentary. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to Lois Kanashiki of Moms for Liberty in just a couple of minutes, but first, news headlines from patownhall.com. As expected, Democrats won three special elections this past week for seats in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. Their victories mean Democrats will take a one-seat majority when the new representatives are sworn into office. Democrats have been in a minority for 24 of the past 28 years. The State House has been in stalemate for the last six weeks as results of the elections were awaited. With the chamber deadlocked, Mark Rossi of Berks County was elected as Speaker when 16 Republicans broke with their caucus to support the Democrat who pledged to serve as an independent. Almost immediately, Rossi reneged on that pledge and has yet to call the House back into session. Once the three new representatives are sworn in, the House is expected to resume business, likely on February 27th. In a landmark case that has been ongoing in the state Commonwealth Court since 2014, the judges this week issued a ruling affirming that Pennsylvania is failing to provide all students with, quote, a comprehensive, effective, and contemporary system of public education, end quote. However, in a win for school choice advocates, the judges did not order the state to spend more money on public education, noting, quote, there are reform options beyond financial reform, and the options for reform are virtually limitless. The court has left it to the legislative and executive branches to now devise remedies to the situation. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. All across the country, parents are awakening to the fact that many school boards are failing to protect the rights of them and their children. Moms for Liberty is working hard to find and equip candidates who will reclaim those rights. Lois Kanashiki is Pennsylvania State Coordinator of Moms for Liberty. She joins us now to talk about this year's elections. Lois, welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. Lois, we want to talk about school boards and why they are important, what the process is, what issues are before school boards. But before we get to all of that, Moms for Liberty, the organization that you coordinate here in Pennsylvania, tell us a bit about Moms for Liberty. What is it that you all do and why is what you do so important? Well, thanks for having me, Loman. Moms for Liberty is a national organization and we're dedicated to fighting for the survival of America by unifying, educating, and empowering parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. And in particular, 
with regard to education. So it's a very important project, and I'm happy to be part of it and, you know, working on organizing Pennsylvania chapters. Parental rights is an issue, Lois, that we have heard more and more about in recent years. Can you expand just a a little bit on what you mean by that? What sort of rights do parents have that maybe they don't know they can exercise or that some school boards are preventing them from exercising? Parents have the right to direct the upbringing of their children. So if they see things in their schools that directly conflict or challenge their family's belief system, they have a right to opt out of those programs or even challenge what is being taught in the schools. Uh, They certainly have the right to direct their children's mental and physical health, which we had some issues with during COVID where schools were telling parents what they had to do regarding um, masking their children. And a lot of us felt that was beyond the scope of what schools should be allowed to do. But basically, it's just the right to make decisions for your child for what's in their best interest. And when there is a conflict between the school and the parent, we believe that we should defer to the parent, give the parent the benefit of the doubt. And the culture in schools is really not deferential to parents. It's mostly, we know best for your child and you should just go along with it. And We don't think that that is necessarily in the best interest of parents and families. So, you know, we would like to see school boards have a little more, I guess, acknowledgement and respect for the parents' right to assert their, their authority in regard to their children's welfare. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of these school boards, Lois. I know a lot of times school boards tend to become more part of the education establishment rather than to reflect or represent the views and the rights of parents. Talk a bit about, and especially because these school board seats are up for election right now, this year, talk a bit about the importance of these school boards. School boards are extremely important. School boards set policies that govern how the school is going to be run. So everything that happens in your school is directed, it's directly a a function of the school board. And also school boards also approve all the curriculum in your school. And this has become a big issue with many parents because we've seen more and more content in the classrooms that are really not appropriate, we believe are not appropriate for young children, to say the least, and conflict with with the values of parents and the families in general. And these issues need to be, they need to be addressed. The school board is the last line of defense between the parent and the school. And school boards have a lot more power than they accept or they will admit a lot of times. They will tell you that, you know, they can't do anything because of mandates and so forth. But they have quite a bit of control. They just refuse to assert it. And those days are coming to an end, Loman. We really need parents who are parents and community members, could be grandparents, people who are willing to stand up for children and families on school boards and make sure that the right things are going to be done on behalf of these families. We are talking with Lois Kanashiki, who is Pennsylvania State Coordinator of Moms for Liberty. And we're talking about the fact that these school board elections are taking place, what, Lois, in every school district in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania this year? 
Yeah, with the exception of Philadelphia, of course. But, mm. <laughs> yes, every other school district has half of their school board up for election. Anyone can run for these positions as long as they've lived in a district for a year and they don't work for the school district. They can run. They can be part of the solution, help defend parents' rights, and help help get our schools back on track because we have not recovered from the COVID deficit in education all our children are behind. The test scores are abominable. And instead of doing social emotional learning and a lot of this content that is not academic, we need to get back to basics and bring our kids up to speed instead of continuing to dumb down our education. Let's talk a little bit more, Lois, about the mechanics of running for school board. Say I'm, I'm a parent and I've been watching what's happening in my local school district and I'm not happy with it. I'm not being able to direct my children's education. The, the school district's doing things that, that violate my fundamental beliefs. I may be motivated because of that to run. What do I have mm-hmm. to do in order to run for school board? What you have to do is you have to call your county elections office and there's a petition packet you can uh, pick up and they will have full instructions on how to fill that out. There's paperwork. There's a window of time in which it needs to be filled out and and filed with the Board of Elections. It starts this week. You have three weeks. All the paperwork must be filed by the close of business on March 7th. It's not hard or complicated, but uh, you do need to review it because the instructions are if, are important. The details are important, and, and if you mess up on a couple of details, you could get in trouble as far as your petition get being challengeable. But it, they're not hard, and we're here to help, you know, our chapters, and, and I'm here to help and support like-minded parents. So we use us as a resource in order to get through this process if it's something you've never done before. But it's it's really not that complicated. Anybody could go ahead and do it, and then you will be on the ballot. And I'm going to ask you this again at the end of the interview, but if folks do need assistance, they have questions, how can they reach Moms for Liberty? Well, the easiest way would be to email me to Lois, L-O-I-S, at momsforliberty.org, or you can go on our website, momsforliberty.org, and look up your local chapter and contact them or on Facebook. But the fastest way would be to email me, and because this is my first priority right now between now and March 7th. To be clear, even though, as you mentioned, when you get this petition packet from your county election bureau, yes, you have to follow very specific instructions, but it's really not all that hard. You need, what, in most school districts, only 10 signatures to get on the ballot? Right. You need a minimum of 10, and uh, they'll even give you a voter list of your district so you can see who's registered to vote in your political party. And so they make it very easy that way. You don't have to guess and just ask 10 of your neighbors to sign the petition. And then you file the paperwork with there's there's also a statement of financial interest. It's called that you have to file. But you file those papers and then you appear on the primary ballot. And Lois, with school boards, you can do what's called a cross file where you can file a petition to have your name appear on both the Republican and Democrat ballots. Yes, that's right, because uh, you have we have two primaries. We have a Republican and a Democrat primary. You can run to try to get nominations from both parties, and that takes two separate petitions. 
And if you do decide to run for school board and you go out and you get your petitions, and uh, as we've mentioned, that starts this week and you have until March 7th to get your signatures, get them filed with your county election bureau, we will point out the upcoming Pennsylvania Leadership Conference, which we talk about quite often here on Lincoln Radio Journal, is coming up on the 30th, 31st of March and 1st of April. And as part of the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference this year, the Leadership Institute out of Virginia near Washington, D.C., will be holding a seminar on how to run for school board. So once you get your petitions, once you become a candidate, if your next question is, now what do I do? We have a seminar coming up. And if you go to paleadershipconference.org, you can get all information, and there will be a training seminar to teach you how to run the campaign. Lois, before we go, as your members have gotten involved in these school board races, have shown up at school districts to talk about issues of concern to parents, what sort of reaction do you get from sitting school board members? Has it been largely favorable, and have most school boards been open, or do you frequently run into some problems? Well, the biggest problem is just not direct communication with school directors. I don't know if they're told not to talk to members of the public or they're afraid to. There's a lot of deference to their lawyer and their administrator. And I don't feel that's a proper way for an elected official to respond. I have a hot easier time making an appointment with my state rep than my school board directors. They are elected official officials. They should be accessible to the public If your school directors won't have a conversation with you or respond to your emails, they really should, in my view, they should not be school directors. Once again, we have been talking with Lois Kanashiki, who is Pennsylvania State Coordinator of Moms for Liberty. And Lois, if once again you would give us the email address and the website where folks who may be interested in running for school board this year can get assistance. My email address is Lois, L-O-I-S, at momsforliberty.org. And our website is just momsforliberty.org, and there's a map on there. You can click on and find your local chapter and and get involved. Lois Kanashiki of Moms for Liberty. Lois, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, Loman. Habitat for Humanity is working hard to help find and prepare affordable housing for those who don't qualify for loans via the regular process. Serena Gaston is Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity, of the greater Harrisburg area. Joe Geiger has her in this Community Benefit Spotlight. Thank you, Loman, and thank you, Serena, for being a guest on the Lincoln Radio program today. Thank you for having me. So you're the Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity of the greater Harrisburg area, and my suspicion and background in not-for-profit organizations is that a lot of people have heard of you but maybe don't know how you work, how you operate, how you benefit the community. And so we want to talk a little bit today about how you make a difference. Serena, if you would, tell us a little bit about Habitat for Humanity and what you do. Our vision is a world where everyone has a decent place to live. And we have two primary programs. One is our home ownership program, and the other is our critical home repair program. You may already be familiar with our home ownership program. That's when we partner with local families in need to help them purchase a affordable home. Habitat is a hand up, not a hand out. And so the home buyers contribute by helping build their home. They take financial literacy classes, and then we work with them to provide an affordable mortgage so that they are 
homeowners and can build that generational wealth. What are some of the criteria that you require of a family before they can enter into the program or as they enter into the program? Well, we have three main criteria that we look at. Um, The first one is the ability to pay. So they must have a sustainable income and consistent history of income. We look at debt to income ratio. They must live or work in our service area, which is the Dauphin County area. We also look at their need for housing. And so if they are currently living in substandard living conditions where there's poor physical condition of the home or they're in an unsafe environment or they have an absentee landlord, we look at that in terms of need of housing. And then our third criteria is the willingness to partner. And again, that's where we look at their ability to, one, complete so many hours of sweat equity, as well as attending financial literacy workshops. They must be able to complete their application in a timely fashion, and then partner with Habitat in the different community events that we may have. You're really an artist in partnership as you partner with other organizations and industries in your community and as you partner with these families. I mean, these families, they have to put in over 300 hours of sweat equity to help get the house livable that they're going to move into. Yes, sweat equity is a big part of it. I mean, we want to make sure that they feel like they've contributed to the house that they will soon own. They also have to commit it. I see a 20 to 30 year legal obligation for a mortgage. They've got to make timely payments. They have to pay all their bills. These people are people who are interested in a hand up or a step up, but they're not looking for a handout. They, they are truly partners. They are truly partners, and and Habitat fills the gap where not everyone qualifies for your conventional mortgage loan. And so we service those individuals who aren't quite there yet but are still ready to be homeowners and have been saving and preparing themselves but just can't get to the point of being accepted under the conventional loan standards. This is Joe Geiger on the Lincoln Radio Program. My guest today is Serena Gaston, the Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity of the Greater Harrisburg Area. So with the criteria, do you find that this is doable for a lot of the families out there? Yes. We currently just completed several home ownership workshops where we were in the community talking about the program, providing the application. We had several applications come in. We have a family service committee who helps us go through the applications and select families that will fit into the criteria. And then we literally we take those families and we take it to our board and they vote on moving forward and offering these homes to the families. So the need is there. We're about to start home ownership workshops again in the summer. Um, we're building currently in the borough of Stilton, and we are going to be looking for some additional families for our next build for 2024. So, yes, the need is definitely there. Can they solicit the services of Habitat to help with the restoration or the repair of a home? In terms of our critical home repair program, Yes, if they qualify, they absolutely can. Just remember, we service low-income families, 80% of the AMI, and our critical home repair program is designed to keep low-income families in their existing home. 
by making home repairs for which there's a need. What's your experience been with homes who have benefited from what you've done for them, continuing to volunteer and help incoming families who need help with with their housing? I've been here for about almost two years in April, and what I've learned is the families who are new to our home ownership program are very excited and energetic and willing to partner and participate, and we're happy to have them. What you're doing is hard work. At the end of the day, how do you know you're making a difference? At the end of the day, I, I think we may, we know we're making a difference by the number of phone calls that we receive from folks who maybe we put a handicap wrap on for their mom, or they'll send us a letter or call us on the phone and thank us for the work that, that we've done. We've done over 200 critical home repairs and This month, actually, February marks our 40th birthday for 40 years of affordable housing. And I just think that it's a great opportunity for us to be able to um, help those in need. Well, the other thing that your organization provides that we don't see in, in a lot of organizations just because of the nature of what they do is you might come back to this neighborhood in 20, 30, 40 years and your your home or your ramp or your your porch, they're all going to still be there. Absolutely. Serena, if people listening to the program want to donate money or volunteer for your organization, how can they find you? You can go to our website, harrisburghabitat.org, and we have a donate button, and you can donate through there. If you'd like to volunteer, you can also go to harrisburghabitat.org and click on the volunteer button. And if you're not from the Harrisburg area, there are Habitat for Humanities all over the state of Pennsylvania. Just go to habitatforhumanity.org and you can search by Pennsylvania. This is Joe Geiger in the Lincoln Radio Program. My guest today is Serena Gaston, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity of the Greater Harrisburg Area. Serena, thank you for being a guest on the program. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. Back to you, Loman. The U.S. House of Representatives has taken action to prevent the Strategic Petroleum Reserve from being used for political or economic purposes rather than release during a national emergency. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania has details on this Lincoln Radio Journal commentary. Present in everything we do in our daily lives, abundant, affordable, and reliable energy is the key driver of our prosperity and our security. A robust and diverse supply guided by market signals, free of handouts and contradictory rules, is essential for economic prosperity. The United States House of Representatives just acted to advance the above vision for energy that Americans for Prosperity has shared with policymakers from Washington to state capitals from New Mexico to New Jersey. On January 27th, the House passed the Strategic Production Response Act, or SPRA, legislation that would prohibit the release of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for reasons other than a severe energy supply interruption until a plan is issued to increase oil and gas production on federal lands and waters. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is designed for emergencies, not because of inflation caused by poor policy decisions. 
the SPRA would hold the current administration accountable for lowering the U.S. strategic oil reserves to their lowest level, roughly 380 million barrels in almost 40 years. In fact, the administration has reduced the reserves by more than 40% in the last two years alone. This accountability would bear practical results for the American people in the form of greater energy security, increased gas and oil production, and ultimately lower gas prices at a time when families need relief from high energy costs. Three key reasons we believe the SPRA will help Americans now and into the future are, first, the SPRA would strengthen our ability to respond to national security emergencies. The SPRA prohibits the U.S. Energy Secretary from tapping our strategic reserves for any reason except a severe emergency. This would ensure we have the resources we need following natural disasters, cyber attacks, or other extreme supply disruptions while preventing any administration from using them for political purposes. Second, the SPRA would help unleash U.S. energy production. If the president utilizes the strategic reserves for non-emergency reasons, the energy secretary must first create a plan for increasing oil and gas production on federal lands to offset that usage. There are many options available to the president to increase domestic production before ever tapping our strategic reserves. The SPRA holds the administration accountable for failing to consider these long-term solutions beforehand. Third, the SPRA would help lower gas prices, with American families still struggling to fill up their tanks and stretch their hard-earned dollars to cover basic needs. Congress needs to elevate long-term energy solutions over short-term political band-aids. Increasing domestic energy production, as we outline above, would help lower gas prices. Tapping the reserve, even for emergency reasons, would not. Conditioning the administration's ability to dip into the reserves on the consideration of alternatives, like embracing innovation, removing restrictions on new market entrants, and streamlining permitting and licensing requirements, would likewise increase our energy supply and further lower energy costs. Instead of continuing to put our economy and national security at risk by making us more dependent on OPEC, Americans for Prosperity urges Congress to embrace an all-of-the-above energy abundance approach that embraces our country's vast resources, both traditional oil and gas, and renewables. It's for these reasons that H.R. 21 was key voted this Congress and what will likely be the first of a number of energy policies advanced through the House this first year of the 118th Congress. I'm Ashley Klingensmith, State Director with Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania. You can connect with us on Facebook by searching at PAAFP, and you can follow us on Twitter by searching at AFP Pennsylvania. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, 
LincolnRadioJournal.com, and LincolnInstitute.org. And it is once again time to talk about the annual Pennsylvania Leadership Conference, which is the premier gathering of grassroots conservatives every year here in the Keystone State. This year's Pennsylvania Leadership Conference will be held March 30th through April 1st at the Penn Harris Hotel in Camp Hill. Kellyanne Conway will be the featured dinner speaker. Guy Benson of Fox News will be the luncheon speaker. And as always, John Gizzi of Newsmax will headline the conference breakfast. There will be workshops, seminars, panels, and speakers, complete information, and registration for the 2023 Pennsylvania Leadership Conference can be found at paleadershipconference.org. That's paleadershipconference.org. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal, plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.